Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, I'm kind of out of pocket. I'm actually in beautiful Denver today, overlooking the gorgeous <laughs> Rocky Mountains outside this hotel room. I am fairly certain <laughs> that we will have great coverage, but on in the unlikely event that we have some technical problems and I drop the call, sit tight because I'll be right back. And it's just one of the things that happens when you're kind of on the road, but you want to just keep things going. All right. So before we get started with today's show, let me begin with a few announcements. First of all, I have a great new therapy tip of the week about using choices with late-talking toddlers. And this strategy is so successful that I wanted to mention it here on the show because if you have a kid who is, has learned to imitate, so who is just, that's a brand new skill, and you want to do everything you can to kind of get them over the hump, which is what you should be looking for, <laughs> to really increase the frequency that you hear words and new words, choices are the way to go. And so, but the prerequisite for that is that a kid has to be able to imitate, so meaning that he can repeat what you've said. But the therapy tip of the week, I just love it. I shot it the end of the week last week, and I want to be sure that you know about that. So if you are not routinely getting notification of the new things that are happening at teachmetotalk.com, first of all, you need to be on my email list so that you um, hear from me a couple times a day sometimes, and you're always just right there hearing about new strategies, new videos, new posts, anything to help you in your practice as an early intervention professional. Uh, Right now on the email list, and what I've kind of done all through the fall, all the way up to this holiday season, is give you, gosh, at least five or six new therapy ideas every single week in written form, in video, just any way I can to share new little activities. And I'm getting such great feedback from that. So if you are not on my email list, you need to be. So go to teachmetotalk.com, look for the green banner in the middle. You'll get a free ebook right now that explains um, speech language uh, delays and what they really, really mean. And so many therapists can use that ebook as kind of an introductory activity with parents to really explain speech language difficulties and delays. You know, it's not all about talking. <laughs> and parents don't get uh, have their child assessed and when they're first making that referral to early intervention. And if you're a parent and you don't have that book, boy, you need to just I would say turn this podcast off and go get yourself a copy of that free ebook right now because it really walks you through speech language development in a way that you might not have thought about. And again, some parents don't even realize that there's something wrong until words don't start emerging. And we have to really walk that process back. We have to look at expressive language development, which is the talking piece as kind of the finale or the uh, a later piece in that continuum. There are so many things that come first, namely receptive language, cognition, and that social interaction piece. So again, if you're not on that email list and if you do not have that free download, you need to be. So go there today and subscribe and get on there. The second thing that I wanted to mention is I have a fantastic holiday sale going on right now. 
for my best-selling uh, therapy manuals. Now, the new therapy manual is not included in that little pack just yet. We're going to get all through this launch period before we include that as a part of that therapy manual combo pack. But there is a fantastic price on my first three therapy manuals right now, as well as the entire collection, which means the first uh, those therapy manuals plus all my five DVDs that are out there, you can get a great price on that as well. So check that out. And again, the way to find out about all these uh, great offers is to be on the email list. The last announcement is uh, I'm giving away <laughs> the chart. So the summary chart of the 11 skills that all toddlers master before words emerge. And if you're a, a regular podcast listener, you know I did a podcast series about that last year, and then I took a whole year to turn that into a book, and boy, did it turn into a comprehensive, probably more than you ever wanted to know <laughs> about helping a late talker get going with communication. So the chart that summarizes those 11 skills is available, again, if you're on the email list and you get, there's a password protected document at teachmetotalk.com. So the way to get the password and access to that is to be on the list and you can uh, download that chart and share that with families that you're working with if you're a therapist. If you are not a speech pathologist and but you are another kind of therapist, say you're an OT or you are a developmental interventionist or an early uh, educator, that chart's going to help you too because it's going to really, really tone in on all of those pre-linguistic pre skills. And remember, do not be intimida intimidated by that term pre-linguistic. It just means pre-before linguistic talking. <laughs> so before a kid, you really get evidences of that outward expression of language, so the talking piece, the verbal piece, all those little things that have to come in place first. And again, as speech-language pathologists, we know this stuff, but sometimes we don't know how to articulate that to parents and other professionals. So even if you're an SLP and this is your bread and butter, I promise that chart is going to help you pull it all together. And then the book is even better than that. But I, I won't keep going on about that because uh, I, I just wanted to make you aware of it so you can get out there and get those free resources. Now, that chart's not going to be available forever. So if you do not have your copy, please go ahead and get it now because I am going to take that down. That was just a little um, little free um, short-term offer that we're doing. So be sure that you get in there and get that. And let me say one more thing about that book. We're going to have a price increase after January 1st. 2018 and so get it at the pre-sale price now with that coupon code because otherwise it is going to go away all right so let's talk about today's show now if you listen to last week's show oh my gosh what a great um hour that was and i've gotten again tons and tons of feedback so so many of you emailed me to say thank you for walking through that checklist this is what we did we took the checklist from let's talk about talking which is that new therapy manual and we had a real live mom on the show and the fantastic thing about her is she's a therapist too <laughs> but she's an slp who works with adults in an acute care setting meaning that she's you know maybe post you know, right after someone's had a stroke, someone has had some neurological changes, so they have some swallowing problems. So again, same job title with speech language pathologist, but totally different skill set. So very out of her realm of expertise with looking at early language development, but a great, great show. And we walked 
through that checklist of the 11 skills to all toddlers master before words emerge. And we just, it was just like, almost like (laughs) being in a visit with a parent because this is how I do it. It's really, you know, beyond the initial assessment or the standardized tool that you're using, really looking at, hey, what can your kid do and not do? And these are the 11 things that really, really help us pinpoint exactly what's contributing to that lack of words. And so again, such important information. And it's such a great way to summarize it and really look at a kid comprehensively, but in a way that's totally doable so that you don't have, you know, a three hour standardized test to look at. And which I'm certainly not advocating that we that you forego that Uh, you know, original experience that we all do with kids, which is administer that kind of test. But it is a really more functional, more practical way to really get at the heart of why a child is experiencing a language delay. So we walked through that checklist. And let me say, too, her child's history, uh, he's got a, a pretty rare diagnosis and so we talked about that a little bit he has his seizures accompany or did accompany um, that uh, his his diagnosis and so that certainly is scary for parents medically those are under control now he's four and a half and he's still not talking and again because I work with early intervention which is primarily birth to three and then just beyond that in the early preschool period so that four and a half, um, he's four and a half, so he's kind of at the, the outer edge of the age of children that I primarily work with. And he has that medical diagnosis, but he, here's my point about that. It doesn't really matter what you call a kid's reason for not communicating or what that label turns out to be, because it really does boil down to what can he do and what can't he do. And the diagnosis gets us started because it lets us know, hey, here's what the expectations are. But if you're very long, you know that children defy expectations all the time. Either way, they can either do much, much, much better than you think they should based on what that original diagnosis is for them, or sometimes they do worse. You think, well, I know he has this, but I had a kid last year who had that, and boy, he looked totally different. And so the diagnosis in and of itself is a good kind of starting point, but it's not where we leave a kid, and it's certainly not all we know about a child. We still have to figure out what are his strengths, what are his weaknesses, and certainly this approach, and let's talk about talking with really looking at those prelingual skills can help you do that like no other system that I've used before. Can you tell that I'm excited about it? (laughs) I want you to be excited about it too. So let's just continue with where we left off of that show. And I had intended in that show to talk a lot more about intervention, but he just had so many things to talk about as we moved through looking um, at all of his, those 11 skills. And so we didn't quite get there. So my plan was for this week for that mom to come back on the show. And even as I was talking to her at the end of the show, I kind of said, oh, well, let's do it. But then I sort of started feeling like, you know, all of us moms do with, you know, it's December, it's Christmas. We're all in the middle of this big hoopla. Why don't we just give you some more time and let me send you this book and give you these initial ideas and you just kind of see how it's going. And then you come back in a month and we'll really, after all this crazy holiday stuff has settled down, we'll just dig in and we'll figure out some really, um, the initial things that you've gotten going at home and with his therapy team. And then we'll kind of come back and talk about where to go from there. 
right after the show, she emailed me back and said, hey, Laura, I didn't tell you this, but I'm about to have my third child. And she said, I'm due December 26th. So if you wouldn't mind, let's do this show sooner rather than later. So that's what we planned. We were going to do it um, on Saturday. And then, as luck would have it, she emailed me Friday night and said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in labor. (laughs) Can't do the show tomorrow. (laughs) But I decided, you know, I've gotten so much feedback. From family TV mailed me, moms particularly, and from therapists who said, "Hey, I really liked walking through that. What would what 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 would you do next? Where would you go next?" So I'm going to just do this anyway. And so Hannah, this show is for you, <laughs> recovering with your as well as your other children. And so hopefully we can have her back on too later to kind of talk about this. But I did want to go ahead and continue what we started last week. So if you've not listened to that show, that was show number 322, go back and listen to that and then pick back up here, which is what we're doing. Now, if you'll remember from that show, one thing that we figured out together as we were walking through that checklist is um, his real weakness in the area of initiation. So when you are talking with the parent, or if you are a parent and you and your therapist keep coming back to something to say, gosh, I think this, this is due to a lack of blank, <laughs> whatever that blank needs to be. If it just keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up, that's, that's a big sign. Hey, this is what we should be working on. This is what our goal should be. And so that's what we discovered when we were talking about him. And, you know, this was – I had emailed this mom back and forth a few times, but I've not met her child. So it was so interesting to me that she, the things that she said, and I would just make my initial observations, and then she even said things like, gosh, I've never thought about it like that before, or – You know, my therapist and I have never really discussed this. And let me just say, too, that's not a slam on her therapist that they've missed anything. This is just where this little guy is right now at this point in his development. And so when we keep kind of having these recurring things where I kept saying during that show, that sounds like that's an initiation problem. Or do you realize what that is? That's because he can't initiate. You're telling yourself what your goal should be. You're answering your own question there with what should we be working on. So that's what we're going to how to get that initiation piece going. Because I think based on what she said about him in our conversation on the show, is that that could make a real big impact for how he's communicating right now. And again, remember, even though he has some pretty significant challenges, he also has, is developing some really nice strengths too. And so I think that for them to work on initiation will really build on what his strengths are right now as well as his weaknesses or what they really, really need to get going so that he can make that next little leap. And that's what's so uh, great about using a checklist like um, the one that's in Let's Talk About Talking, because you really do get kind of a comprehensive picture. Now, your formal assessment results will give you that too, but I love the checklist in this book because it's a one 
page picture of what a child can and cannot do. And you're going to look at it not as just can and can't do, but also that kind of in-between piece, that emerging piece. And that's what I always recommend that we begin with with children. Work on something that they are trying to do, but that they need a little bit of help with, something they still need cueing with. Because again, it's not something that's so difficult that's beyond their ability or something that's that's so unrealistic. It's what they're telling you, hey, with a little bit of help, with a little bit of direction from an adult, I can get this going. And that was certainly the case with um, Hannah's little boy last week because she said, you know, he will initiate for one thing. And she, do you remember what that was? That was his favorite show, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, I believe it was. And she gave a cute little example. She said, you know, that's the only thing that he'll come get me for. And she said that he'll, he even has a full routine where he sits in a one little chair and watches that. It's his very favorite thing in the whole world. And she, you know, she's so good to have noticed, you know, that this was so motivating for him. But she also said, you know, that's really it. Where can I go from there? What, what, will, what will make a difference in this area? So we started talking about some ideas, but I want to give you some more. And let me just say, too, that initiation is so important, and it's often overlooked in kids until after they start talking, but that's a mistake. And here's why that is. In typically developing children or kids who begin to talk to initiate long before words emerge, and actually, if you'll think about it, initiating or letting somebody else know what you want, that's one of our major reasons to communicate. That's one of the, the those underlying um, kind of, if you want to think about it as an, you know, an MO, a motivating operation, <laughs> you know, I don't want you to, I don't want you to have to read my mind here. I don't want you to have to guess, you know, play 50 questions with me to try to figure out what I want. I've got to come up with a way to let you know and cut out all of that you know, is it this or is it that? Or you know, and think about it. That's what's so frustrating for parents. And if you're parenting a late talker right now, I bet to you that's the main reason that you are so worried or concerned is I don't know what my child wants. I know that he's upset about something. I know that he is, um, you know, he's got this desire that's unspoken here. I know that he is frustrated. I know that he, again, has some need that he needs me to meet, but I have no earthly idea what that is. And that's what's missing when children don't begin interaction. And if we think about what initiating is, is that a kid deliberately works to get your attention. And again, as a parent, you feel so helpless. When you see that your child wants something, and it may not even be that, you know, they're on the floor crying or pitching a fit or anything like that. It could just be that they look really, really um, scared or they look really um, frustrated. I've already used that word. They just, you just know, you know, man, she wants something here. And I just, I cannot for the life of me figure out what it is. And when a kid can't approach us, and can't let us know by any way possible, again, that's a helpless feeling for us as adults because that's one of the things we do as caretakers and as parents is really want to know, hey, what's bugging you? (laughs) What's the problem here? How can I make your little life easier? And again, that's not all of us learn to communicate. That's one of those underlying things. And so let's talk about 
what we can do as adults to really, really get initiation going. And remember, too, let me just say this, and this is certainly in that opening paragraph in the initiation chapter, which is actually skill number 11 in the 11 skills that toddlers master before uh, words emerge. This actually is kind of the the finale skill, but I want to be sure that you are, again, understanding why initiation is so important. You know, communicating always requires two people, and somebody has to start. (laughs) Somebody has to begin, and so that person is called the initiator, and the other person is called the responder, and so many of our little guys who are like talkers get pretty good at responding, and that's that seems to be what was going on with Hannah's little boy. She said, you know, he, I can ask him what he wants, you know, and also let me mention this. She said that he is using an AAC device. I can't remember what device she said that he was using. And we didn't talk about that too much on last week's show, but that is so important. It's even if a kid is not talking and even if you think talking may be a long-term goal. And for some children, who some kids don't talk let's just kind of get it out there in plain language without me trying to uh, jargon it up or say it say it in something that's a less um, obvious kind of thing but you know the reality is some children with significant developmental or medical diagnoses are nonverbal their entire lives. And for those children and those people, we certainly have to provide an alternative way for them to communicate. And that's so important, even with little guys with that are one and two and three and four. You never to leave a kid without a way to communicate. And so certainly um, Hannah's little boy has been in therapy, I believe she said, you know, even as an infant. And so they've gotten some signs going and they're using his device. And she said he certainly is making choices. So he's gotten the responder thing down pat. She said that she can say to him, you know, tell me whatever. And he'll use a sign or she said with his uh, device, he's making uh, choices accurately, you know, with I think she said like a field of four, so four different pictures or four different options he is able to choose. And so that's fantastic. And some of our little guys can't do that either, Uh, but she's gotten that going and that's a real, real strength for him. But we can't always depend on other people to read our minds. We can't always be passive. And we certainly don't want our little guys who have significant uh, learning differences to be passive either. And that that's certainly something that we see as parents of children with uh, delays and disorders and therapists who work with them. They kind of fall into that pattern of, I'm just going to kind of sit here and wait, and somebody that loves me and somebody that's taking care of me and somebody who's here with me will figure out what I need. When we see that, that always tells us initiation is missing. So you always have a roadmap then of how can I make this child more independent? Teach them how to initiate. How can I help this child make that next little leap in communicating? Teach him how to initiate. Get him over that hump so that he can take the lead and he can be the person. And he's not left relegated to that role of responder. Um, so that that's really why we're talking about this. And so let me just go through really, really quickly. And again, you'll find this and let's talk about talking in each of the 11 skills. You'll find a whole section that talks about, uh, it describes what the skill is. So in this case, you know, we've already walked through what initiating is and what it looks like to that description piece. 
Um, there's also a little section that talks about how initiation with others typically progresses. And this is really important for parents of late talkers and for therapists too, because you can see where the breakdown occurred. And you can see, you can start to think, you know, when he was six months old, he used to do this. Or, you know, he's never done this. And sometimes parents will say, they'll try to isolate, you know, what, when did, where, when's the day? What day did something happen? When, when did something go wrong? And, you know, that's why some parents will say immunizations really created a problem for their children communicatively. Or they'll just say, um, I talked to this lady gosh, in the place where I get my nails done <laughs> a few weeks ago, and she was talking about her baby, and she said, you know, she's had, she had a, has had a, or had a really high fever for kind of weeks on end that the doctor really didn't know what was going on, and she was saying, you know, she's really changed. You know, sometimes parents will pinpoint uh, kind of a medical event or uh, just something that sort of stands out in their mind is when something happened but most of the time parents can't do that and so they'll just think that all of a sudden their child's language or their child's development they were the kid was totally typically developing up until whatever happened but they can't really pinpoint it they'll say he was totally normal but if you as a therapist will walk back through how each of these 11 pre-linguistic skills actually emerges you may help a parent discover, gosh, he really hasn't been typically developing all along. And again, that's not to hit them over the head with the fact with, you know, your child is not normal, your child is not normal, and your child is not normal. That's not it at all. It's just to help parents recognize that that underlying cause of their child's lack of uh, words or lack of communication skill development, that that's kind of been there all along. And again, that's sort of a double-edged sword. Some parents feel better about that because they feel like, well, okay, this isn't just one isolated event. You know, parents have such a hard time of, you know, they just, especially moms, blame everything on themselves. They'll say, and I've, I bet if you're a therapist, you've heard these stories. They'll say, gosh, you know, my husband and I just had a knockdown, drag out fight in front of him, and he has never been the same since. And so they feel so much misplaced guilt about something like that. Or they'll say, you know, we moved, and I was really busy, and or, or th this is what I've heard too. I had a really significant postpartum depression, and I, I, this is all my fault. But when we help moms walk back through this process of how these skills are supposed to develop, they start to see, hey, this is already going on. And this is, you know, I might have had, or my, the things that I did or didn't do might have had some role in this, but this was really going to happen anyway. And that, again, double-edged sword <laughs> with you can feel better and worse about something at the same time. So this section of walking through how a skill progresses can really help provide some clarity to what may have been a really muddied or muddled issue for some parents. So there's also a section in each chapter that talks about what it looks like when a skill is present or what it looks like when a skill is not present. So let's do this for initiation and kind of walk through this. When a child is initiating, he approaches other people to get a need met or he, he goes up to other kids to want to play with them. So again, he takes the lead there. Kids try to actively let you know what they want. And again, this may not even be with words yet. They may just fuss and fuss <laughs> to get your attention. They may grunt. 
They hopefully will be using some nonverbal things like gestures, like pointing or looking at what they want. Even if they can't talk, they might lead you to what they want. And again, they may even try to show you by sort of getting what they want and then looking at you like, hey, can you finish this last step for me? So that actively trying to get your attention and helping you know what it is they want. Uh, another thing that kids will do when they are good initiators, if you can see their little wheels turning, meaning that they remember things that have happened before, and so they try to get those things going again, and we'll see that happen a lot with little play routines. If you've taught them a little game or if you they really, really like, I can sometimes tell with kids that if I don't have a toy ready that, they, that we played with last time I was there or maybe even a couple of times that they uh, – couple of visits ago when they saw me, I'll start to sort of see them look around or find something that they can show me or start to do, again, any little thing. They might try to sort of sing a song or if, if I held them on my lap to play a social game that they really liked, you know, you can see them kind of, you know, I can sort of read their little minds too, like moms do where they're walking over to me and they're pulling my legs out so that they can sit on my lap or they'll get my hands if it's a game that say they would like playing Ring Around the Rosies and this is a new routine and they can't say, hey, Laura, let's play Ring Around the Rosies. They might grab my hands and look at me with little twinkly eyes and start to start to sort of walk in a circle. So again, they're doing something. They're taking that that lead role and letting you know. Now when, uh, and certainly words are the epitome of that. They're the pinnacle with telling you exactly what it is that they want. So let's look at some examples of what initiation looks like or doesn't look like when a kid isn't initiating. Sometimes, you know, we've talked about in this, uh, with this little guy that we were speaking um, about today in our last show, uh, you might just, and I haven't met this little boy, so again, um, Hannah, please forgive me if this assumption is wrong, but he seems a little more passive. And again, we've said he's a good responder, but not a great initiator. So it could be that a kid just looks really passive. And sometimes parents think about those kids as patient or good. They'll say, oh my gosh, she was so good. She never made a peep. And, you know, you know, she never bothered anybody for anything. And typically developing kids are not like that. <laughs> They bug you. They want your attention. They want you to do things for them. And that is completely normal. And again, that's why all kids learn how to communicate. So again, that that we don't want kids to be so passive that they're not initiators. But sometimes kids who aren't initiators also look really opposite of that. They look super, super independent. They don't try to ask your help for anything because they're climbing, you know, on the refrigerator to get something on top themselves. They're pulling chairs over. They don't ask you to go outside. They just try to go themselves. They practically get themselves dressed and then go out there. So it could be on the opposite end of the spectrum as well. Um, also, when kids don't, and we talked about this already, when they don't initiate, it's still really up to the parent or the adult to figure out what a kid needs when they need it. So you're still sort of in that infancy phase with them. They may cry, and you think, you, you go through the list. When's the last time he ate? Does he have a wet diaper? Is he sick? You know, you kind of go through that mental checklist. So if you're still trying to do that with a child, he's not initiating. That could be a real missing piece here. And it might be that um, kids who also aren't great initiators, again, may do something where they approach a parent or a caregiver 
um, seeking some sort of sensory or feel-good feedback. They want to lean against you. They want to be picked up and held. They want to twirl your hair. But there's not much else going on communicatively. There's not much eye contact there. There's not much of a social response. You really have to work to get them to look at you, to get them to smile at you, to get them to react to you. And those are kids who don't really initiate that well either. All right, so... What's the big deal about this initiation piece? And again, you'll find this with all 11 skills. And let's talk about talking. Kids who don't learn to initiate interaction with others, again, may appear to be passive, frustrated, or even angry. So if you have a kid who seems really, really like it's meltdown city all the time or lots and lots of tantrums, that could be because he can't tell you what he needs. So there's that lack of initiation again. And um, remember that uh, in that, we always need to, when we're working with parents, always kind of come back with, if initiation doesn't happen, what's this long-term implication for that? Why does this skill really, really matter? Those kids go on to be diagnosed with pretty significant expressive language and social communication delays, meaning that they don't know how to request. They don't know how to ask for what they need, and those are fundamental ways of communicating with others. So if we don't get this going, it's a long-term problem so that always kind of lights a fire under all of us with uh figuring out boy we better get this going right now because we do not want this to be something that goes on and on and on and on and on with a child um, there's also a section in let's talk about talking under every skill that for language development and we've certainly have set the stage for that with initiation so Let's talk about moving on. Let's talk about what our strategies are so that a kid can learn how to initiate with others. Now, remember, before we change a kid, we have to always look at what can I be doing? What can I change? Because we can't always get in there and just instantaneously help a kid learn how to do something in the first five minutes that we decide to work on it, right? <laughs> so we as the adults, meaning the parents, the grandparent, the therapist, the teacher, whoever you are listening to the show because you want to help a late talker that you love, most of the time we have to adjust what we're doing before we can realistically expect any kind of improvement from a child. So with initiation, what is the very first thing we should do? We have to make a mental shift. So let's talk about this for a minute. Remember how we said just a minute ago I said, when kids don't initiate, they're kind of left where we're still forced or, or find ourselves in the situation uh, when we're thinking about their communication skills the same as we did when they were infants or tiny babies who were incapable of really communicating. So what did that mean? We interpreted everything. We went through that checklist that I talked about. If a kid you know, wakes up in the middle of the night, you know, we wake up, we hear them cry, and we instantly think, what is it? What's the problem? You know, is it the wet diaper? Is it that he needs to eat? Has something scared him? Go through all of that. But we're making a lot of assumptions. And we're taking, even though we've heard the cry or heard the scream or have seen some kind of hint from that child as that, that lets us know that we need to move into action here and do something to make his world more comfortable for him by doing that especially with a toddler who's older who has gained some ability to begin to communicate with us we have to make that shift so that we let a kid 
become the initiator. So we have to shift from being the initiator to being the responder. So we wake kids out a little bit. And a lot of times parents don't realize how that role needs to shift. And sometimes this is just, and we talked about this, gosh, we talked about it in the show before last when we were looking at the prompting hierarchy for kids. And remember what our number one strategy is for kids who, again, and this is, you know, the same kind of topic with initiation, how do we get them to communicate with us, we wait, we hang back a little bit, we pause. And boy, is that so hard for so many of us to do. And especially those of us who have kind of hyper personalities or that um, nurturer kind of personality, we just want to do everything for everybody and fix everything that we can. Those moms really, really, really have to realize that, gosh, I've got to give him a chance. Instead of watching and anticipating every little need, I need to watch for just that, again, that first little indication that that child may give me that he wants something. And then we've got to wait him out just a little bit. That just first little expression of desire or expression of a need, that's where requesting and initiating begins. And so that's what we've really, really got to look for. And it's that expectant watching and expectant waiting and just long enough. Now, again, this is a real balance. You can't, and I, I remember saying this last week on the show with Hannah. I said, you know, now don't be mean. <laughs> don't wait him out so long and be so unreachable and so aloof. And so I don't think I said that to her, but so, and she's not that way at all. Just from, you could tell from just talking to her, but you can't, you can't turn into, well, I'm just not going to do anything for this kid at all because he's got to learn how to initiate. You can't do that. Don't go to that extreme there, but just long enough so that you give that child the opportunity to get started and initiate with you. And let's just say you can wait, wait it out so long that it just goes, you know, it turns into a disaster because the child goes from, thinking I need to do something to let you know what I need here to I'm really, really mad that you are not listening to me and not trying to help me here, and so, especially for toddlers with really, really short fuses. They go straight to meltdown and straight to tantrum. And no effective communication is going to occur there. Kids cannot communicate or learn anything when they're overwhelmed and when they're overstimulated. So don't let it go too long, but just enough so that you can start to really um, give them that opportunity to initiate. And so in the book, I call this almost initiating. So this is where a kid, again, you start to see that hint of, boy, he may ask me for something. He may look at something. He may do this sign. So I'm not going to just jump in there right away. I'm going to pause. If you want to think about it, that's a word that we use at uh, my house a lot. <laughs> I'm just going to pause here. I'm going to pause. I'm going to put this on pause and think uh, for just a second, you know, what, what will he do if I hang back here? Will he reach for me? Will he point? Will he vocalize? Will he do something if I don't just jump right in here and try to make everything uh, better? And you can go back and listen to that show on the prompting hierarchy. Remember we said there's a whole lot that happens between 
you knowing that a kid wants to do something and then you handing it to him or giving it to him, you know, waiting is certainly part of that, you know, giving him cues along the way with um, maybe looking at something he wants and then looking back at him and saying, gosh, is he going to look at me and then look back and look at me and then look back? That's a big part of joint attention. And that's a, that's a skill that that little guy last week that, that um, we identified that he's not doing that great either. So can you see how all of this goes together? And sometimes by working on one skill, we can make huge, huge differences in other skills as well. So certainly uh, this child's joint attention is going to improve as mom waits a little bit and gives him that opportunity and and really, really um, sets some of these situations up. Uh, one thing we want to be sure that we're doing too is treating anything that or treating a lot of what a child does as intentional so that we are showing him that his actions and his his um, activities really, really matter. So let's say something like, and we're going to talk about environmental sabotaging, communication, temptations in a minute. But even before we get there, let's say that if um, – Let's just use this example. Let's say that a kid really, really likes something like swinging in a blanket or playing peekaboo with a blanket or even you rolling him up in a blanket, anything that you would do with any kind of prop. And, again, I'm just using blanket as an example. Anything you do where there's a prop, and let's just say that that prop is laying out, you know, on his bed and so or on the couch or on the floor. So what we would do in this situation is when we see him walking over to the blanket or when we see him handling or looking at the blanket in any kind of way, we treat as an initiation and we begin whatever it is that he likes with that prop. And can you see how that teaches him that what he does is important? And that whole, I have to do something to get something. We're saying, oh, you did something. (laughs) You showed me something there. And I'm responding now like you did that on purpose. So sometimes, you know, to use that expression, we're putting the cart before the horse. (laughs) We're maybe taking something that a child probably or maybe didn't do as intentionally as we would like, but we're treating it as if it were an initiation. And again, that's what really builds that um, purposeful activity in or that purposeful way. You're kind of letting a kid know, hey, if you want to play this blanket game with me, all you've got to do is look at that blanket or all you've got to do is touch that blanket or all you've got to do, you know, eventually bring me that blanket So you're teaching them a way to initiate, and sometimes we have to do it by setting up that situation and then acting as if they initiated or acting like it was on purpose. So certainly look for things like that. And, again, I call that almost initiating. Look for any time, any kind of behavior that we can shape to be more purposeful, on his part, that's certainly uh, something that we're going to do. Now, remember, we've talked about this, but I want to be sure that I'm highlighting this point because it's so important with initiation. All initiation begins with a nonverbal um, in, t- in children. You know, they don't out of the womb telling you what they want. It all begins nonverbally. So that's what we have to do with late talkers too. So that's why we're not waiting to work on initiating to when a toddler begins to say words. We look at any kind of nonverbal request that they're doing as well. And so that's certainly something that 
um, Hannah talked about last week with her little guy. She said that when he wants to watch Mickey Mouse Club, she can always tell because, and that's when he approaches her. You know, that's the nonverbal part. And so that's certainly something that parents, you can start to see. What, what is he initiating nonverbally? What is he doing? To, you know, when can I figure out what he wants? When, when is it pretty obvious to me? What are some things that he does? And so you'll build on those skills. You'll know. Well, usually when he's thirsty, I can sort of tell because sometimes he actually walks in the kitchen. And so you'll know, hey, he's able to move to, you know, motorically, he goes to the location, and that's something you and your therapist can work on. So let's say that you might then teach him to, well, when you want to do this, you've got to move closer to it. So you take something that a child is already doing nonverbally, you figure out in what context that he's doing it, and you see if you can get some other examples of that going on. And that's what we talked to Hannah about last week. I said, so, you know, look for other opportunities, look for other ways, other situations during the day when he may be doing that that you haven't quite recognized that he's doing yet. You know, if it's close to bath time, do you see him, you know, kind of, edging closer to the bathroom, do you see that he's doing that? That may be a, a, a situation with initiation that you haven't noticed before. Is there another toy or activity that he really, really likes? And if you left it out and if you made it um, more available but not completely accessible, meaning if there's a favorite toy that he absolutely loves, what if, what if I put it just up on a shelf where he can see it, but he can't get it? What would he do? What, 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 what might he try to, how might he show me that he wants that? And again, this is called um, environmental sabotage or communication temptations where we are setting up situations where children can begin to do those kinds of things with us. So let's just walk through some of these ideas. And these are certainly some things that um, I want, that I would suggest that Hannah would do with uh, Callan so that he can uh, start to move toward or go to her or approach her in ways that maybe he hasn't done before. If you've watched any of my DVDs or any of my courses, you know that I certainly do this with those darn Ziploc bags that I use. And I, I talked about this in that new therapy tip of the week that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, where I keep nearly all of my toys or activities that I'm going to do with a child. And again, that's whether I'm seeing him um, in an office setting or whether if I'm, uh, you know, have done home visits in a long time, but certainly when I did home visits, I still took that toy bag. And I know that's real controversial in a lot of states, but certainly parents are, you know, can certainly set up these situations at home where we are, are showing children what they want, but they can't get to them. Now, sometimes parents will uh, might have things in toy boxes that a kid can't quite get to unless the parent is there to help or, you know, when you read about this in um, other kinds of textbooks or other other therapy books, they'll say put closed containers so that a kid sees what he wants, but he can't quite get to it without your help. And certainly those Ziploc bags work super, super well for that. And so what do you do if a kid doesn't, um, you know, 
talk and say, hey, open this box for me so I can get this toy. You begin just by, again, making it available but not completely accessible. So you leave it out. You put it on the shelf. You do something where he has to move closer so that you know that that's what he wants. And then you just make those assumptions. You provide that language. You say things like, oh, no, I see your train. Your train's up there. What should we do? How are we going to get that? And, again, you're waiting. You're waiting to see if he looks at you and looks at the train. You're waiting to see if he's going to point. You're waiting to see if he walks over to you and lifts up his little arms like, hey, pick me up. Those are all kinds of things that he can do to initiate. Another thing that we really, really do right here is, again, set up the situation so that a kid only gets part of what she needs to complete an activity. So let's say her very favorite thing to do might be, um, let's just use something that's a little bit higher level like drawing. Let's say she really, really likes to draw. So what would you do for that? You might give her, don't give her the markers without the paper. <laughs> she might draw something else. But do something like give her the paper without the markers and then just see what happens. If a kid is obsessed with trains, like lots of our little guys are, set out the tracks but not the trains. Think, okay, what is the piece of this, that of this toy that he really, really needs to play? And then withhold that part. But put the rest of it out. So that, again, there's a reason there for him to initiate. And this doesn't have to always be about play. This can certainly be in the context of daily routines, too. So let's think about giving a kid an empty cup. When you, when you, not when he's famished and, you know, you're at the risk of dehydration if he doesn't get what he needs. But when you think he might be a little bit thirsty, the way to entice him to ask for juice with a sign or a word or a gesture or whatever he can do is just to give him an empty cup and see what happens. I certainly do this, and I give this example in nearly every course I teach or every, every uh, I've given it on the podcast a lot, and it works all the time. If I know a kid really, really has a favorite food, I eat it in front of him. If I know that he really likes um you know, Pringles potato chips, boy, I am not above sitting there and eating that Pringle right in front of him and saying, mm, 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 this is so yummy. Chip, mm, it's so good. And again, you've set up that situation. You know he's going to want it, but you're providing that opportunity for him to initiate, for him to do something to let you know, hey, I want that. And you're not saying, do you want a chip too? You're backing it up right before he would get to that step and really, really ask for that. Something that works really well here if you do home visits is to give, uh, you know, if there are siblings there or if uh, little neighbors, you know, sometimes we're so fun as therapists that, you know, it feels like you're going to end up with every kid in the neighborhood over there because they all want to see what's going on with this crazy lady who's come into play and who might do things differently than uh, they've experienced before if they end up with a lot of kids. So do that if you've got a kid who's developmentally ready and won't fall apart, where you're all right there. If he loves Skittles, you know, you're going to just have them all kind of all sitting there with you or lined up in a little line. And, you know, you're the kid that you're working with is at the end. And so you're really um, you know, giving the first kid a Skittle. But, and what I usually do is sort of set it up where they have to do whatever I think it is that the kid can do. And so if he's signing, I'm going to have everybody sign for that piece of candy. If he's talking, I'm going to have everybody talk for that piece of candy. So, again, they're still modeling. He's still getting that, but he's not getting it 
from you, that model. He's not, he, so he is learning how to initiate. And again, it's not quite as difficult when you're just kind of sitting there looking at him like you have to, you know, get that word out on your own. You know, he can still hear other kids do it and see other kids do it. And so certainly um, think about just what a kid likes and think how can I withhold part of this activity or how can I almost give him this? So, you know, what's that next little step? What is it that he can do, but he's just not quite there yet? How can I back that up? Just that one uh, little step so that he can figure out what it is that he should do next. There's some great ideas in the book that will help you, too, with situations that toddlers really, really seem to like and that um, seem to really, really work for me. Wind-up toys are a great way to do this where, you know, that's something that toddlers really, really like, but they cannot do themselves. So that's something you can think about. So you'll, you know, wind up a little toy that hops or, um, you know, wind-up toys just come in all shapes and sizes. I have so many cute ones. You know, it might be a dog that turns flips or it might be a monkey that clangs to cymbals or it might be even a wind-up little car or truck or train where you wind it up and then you watch it move and then you just kind of wait and you see what the kid does. Now you can, again, remember that initiation begins non-verbally, so it is unlikely that he's going to say, please wind it up and make it go again. But he probably could hand it to you if you held out your hand and were offering your assistance there. And again, that's that non-verbal way to get it going. If he's signing kind of, you know, again, you may not be modeling the sign, but you might say, you know, gosh, mm, how can you tell me? Do you think you could say more? And again, you're giving that enough of that cue and you're, you're, don't think about it as I'm going to pull back all of my assistance with this or all of my cueing with it. You just want him to do that next little thing. And again, that's where that prompting hierarchy on that show a couple of weeks ago was so important. And if you didn't listen to that show, go back and listen to it. But there's also a post about that at Teach Me to Talk. So go back and review that again. Uh, we've talked about foods. Other thing that works, oh, my goodness, let me share this idea, and then we're going to wrap up because we're at the end of the hour. Helium balloons work great. And if you've seen my Is It Autism course in part two, a little guy that I worked with named Drew, um, was three at about this time, three or four, and he he had just recently discovered helium balloons, and these work so well because, uh, you know, it's not a toy that parents have all the time just available at home. It's kind of a treat, and it's, it's going to get away from them. Even if you have the balloon tied to a string, it's going to go to the ceiling. It's going to get out of their little hands. So right there, you've already set up a situation that they have to ask for it. Now, some kids will try to climb and get it themselves, and that, that was funny. If you haven't taken that course, or if you have taken that course, you'll remember that. where Boy, he's climbing up on that furniture. He's doing everything he can to get it. But that's how we taught him how to sign, because he really, really wanted that balloon. And it was a perfect opportunity for us to practice that initiating piece over and over and over and over and over again because you know as soon as he would sign I would give him the balloon we would play with it for a little while and then he would let it go because that's what happens it gets away from you and so it immediately provides that next opportunity for him to have to initiate and so for kids like this in the video we're working really hard on signs because that was a new skill for him but in this situation with initiation with a kid like that, you would just wait. You would let it go to the ceiling and then just look at him and see what he does. He's going to look for the balloon because it was so fun. If he doesn't look for it, you know, you start to look for it and look up there and say, you know, oh, where'd it go? <gasps> what do you want? Oh, my goodness. Where's the balloon? I don't see it. And then if he doesn't 
look at it from there, then you step it up a little bit and point and say, oh, look, look, what should we do? And, again, you're always kind of taking that next step for you are doing that next little bit. You know, he doesn't do anything, so I'll give him a little more help. He doesn't do anything, so what's my next little step? And you pretty much walk through all the way up to, you know, tell me or say or sign, but you're holding back just a little bit so that he has that opportunity to get in there and take the lead. One more fun little thing that's in the chapter in Let's Talk About Talking is a game called Surprise. And so that's where children learn how to initiate with you a comment about something that's of shared interest. And this is where you just do something that's unexpected. So you may place recognizable pieces from one toy on another toy. So you might take Mr. Potato Head's glasses and put them on a baby doll. Or you might, um, you know, Gosh, that's why this little elf on the shelf is so dang popular right now at Christmas time because kids don't ever know what you're going to do with it. They're, they don't know where you've placed it. So it's a surprise. It's something that's unexpected. Let's, um, in more practical terms, uh, an example that's in the book that I read somewhere is you hang an umbrella like from the ceiling fan and see if a kid notices that. Or you wear a funny hat and see if a kid notices that. Those are all ways that kids can initiate. Now, you've set up the situation. You've done some different things there, but that's a way that you will know <laughs> if a child has really, really noticed and if he's, um, you know, again, you, he, he's, he's got to do something. You'll see it written all over his little face, and it gives you uh, a really good way to assess his ability to initiate. And we're at the end of the hour, so get the book and read some other things that you can say kind of what's your next step there. Um, if you're listening and you're a parent, let me just kind of sum this up by saying you really want to look for use things that your kid already loves and already wants to do, and you're just going to wait them out a little bit, and you're going to see what's that next little step. And, again, they're not ready to talk or use a word yet. You really want to wait for those nonverbal opportunities for initiating. You can get that going with eye gaze. You can get that going with meaning looking at what they want. You can get that going with reaching for what they want. You can get that going with them showing you something, holding something, giving you something. And certainly those are all really, really important nonverbal ways, and those are also gestures. And, again, that's why this system and this book is so important, looking at those 11 skills, how do all of these things, how are all of these things interrelated? You know, if I'm working on initiation here with these kinds of things, can you see how a kid's gestures are going to get better? Can you see how his joint attention is going to get better? Because you're really layering all of these skills and looking at, you know, exactly where's the breakdown here? What can I do to make that better? All right, so that's it for today. I hope I've given you some real concrete things you can do. And remember, all of these ideas ideas are in my new therapy manual. Let's talk about talking. Get it in December. I hope you're listening to this in December of 2017. We're getting it still on sale and I want you to get it at the very best price you possibly can. All right, that's all for this week. Join me next week for we're going to continue to talk about any kind of uh, strategy that we can use to make um, communicating easier for our little friends with lunch delays. That's uh, thanks so much and have a great week. Bye bye.